Hello, and welcome to episode 56 of the Medical Device Success Podcast. I am Ted Newell, your host. Uh, Thanks so much for joining me today for a very interesting subject, and thanks also for your support. The podcast continues to grow. And never hesitate to reach out to me with ideas for subjects you would like covered in the podcast. I will endeavor to take care of it. Now, the title of this podcast is The Influence of Population Health on MedTech. This is the second podcast where we explore the provider side of the MedTech equation. And for my international listeners, provider side means healthcare professionals like doctors, nurses, hospitals, and other care centers. Uh, Perhaps you use the same term in your country, but I'm just making sure we cover the bases here so nobody's confused. Now, the purpose of this podcast is to help you understand an important area of provider thinking so you can align your product development, sales, and marketing strategies accordingly. First, we define population health. Then we talk about its influence on medtech. In the USA, population health is not the same thing as public health, although one can influence the other. Joseph Schulman Senior Vice President, Population Health and Business Transformation at Northwell Health, joins us to discuss this area of healthcare that is so important to understand. The movement toward population health and value-based healthcare has big ramifications for the development of medical technologies. Is population health a serious endeavor? Well, Northwell thinks it is important enough to have 400 professionals on Joe's team to drive these initiatives. Before we move on to the podcast, are you looking for a community of like-minded medtech professionals with a focus on leadership, sales, and marketing? Take a look at the MedTech Leaders community at medtechleaders.net, where people like you share best practices, problems, solutions, and ideas. There is a new Get Involved plan that costs only $14 per year, and there is a free trial. Our collection of content is almost like a masterclass. So again, to take a look, go to medtechleaders.net. And check the show notes for links to Joe's LinkedIn profile and Northwell Health, and a book he recommends. If you like the podcast, please recommend it to a friend, rate it, and or subscribe. Now let's meet up with Joe to learn more about population health and its impact on MedTech. Joe, welcome to the Medical Device Success Podcast and Videocast. It's really terrific to have you here and to learn about population health. I don't think a lot of people understand how important that is and as a trend, where we're going with that in this country. Uh, thanks for having me, Ted. I'm uh, thrilled to be here and uh, talk about the topic and uh, share with you some more insight about Northwell Health and the work we're doing. Oh, well, it's, it's a pleasure. This is something I'm very curious about, and I'm so glad that Mark Dixon you know, introduced us to each other. So tell us a little bit about your role at Northwell Health and a little bit about Northwell Health. Sure. My pleasure. So I'm Joe Shulman. I serve as uh, Northwell Senior Vice President for our population health and our business transformation uh, work. And um, in my role and responsibility, I'm responsible for the strategic development, alignment, and design of our value-based transformation, which effectively is we work uh, on a variety in uh, large, large-scale alternative payment models, value-based endeavors, value-based transformation work, and effectively our uh, work and the efforts of our immediate team inside of our care management organization, as well as obviously all of our partners across Northwell, and which I'll speak to about the scope and scale of Northwell in a moment. We are plugging in on the alignment, design, and capabilities associated with is most important and most critical. When we talk about the high value care delivery and the value-based proposition, it really is surrounding the, the evidence and being uh, and, and able to demonstrate that. And so in many cases, there are 
care delivery that's occurring throughout our country, you know, nationally, that there's extraordinary outcomes being generated, but we're in fact, and they are of the high value variety. However, uh, we're just not designed and, and organized in a way that we're demonstrating that at, at scale. And so our work is uh, effectively to generate and evidence the generation of exceptional outcomes, and then how those outcomes get translated and converted into financial performance as well. And so that's okay. the best part of this work. We basically were, are goal-oriented on outcomes for our patients and the serving of our community and targeted populations, and then which generates improved performance for our organization as well. Okay. And so, then tell us a little um, bit about Northwell. Health. So a little bit about Northwell. I've been uh, with Northwell and I've had the privilege of being with Northwell for um, in my 19th year at the health system. And uh, Northwell Health is the largest uh, private health system in the state of New York, where we operate predominantly and our uh, network is uh, predominantly in the uh, downstate to mid midsection of, of the state of New York, predominantly in downstate New York, very highly concentrated. Uh, from a scope and scale standpoint, we're about $13.5 billion on the top line revenue side. We're uh, the largest private employer in the state of New York. So we have wow. just just about 78,000, 77, 78,000 employees uh, of Northwell Health. So not only do we have this tremendous healthcare responsibility to our to our communities being situated and with this this responsibility that we have, but you know from an employment standpoint, so we're a tremendous part of the economy from that respect as well. Northwell, so we operate approximately about twenty three hospital and acute care facilities throughout our network in the downstate uh, New York area, and uh, but and notably as well, we have one of the largest ambulatory networks and and employed physician groups among those nationally and especially in the state of New York. So we employ over 4,000 physicians and certainly the relationships with our voluntary physicians and the self-employed physicians across our geography. And those relationships are critical. And we plug into another minimum of about 8,000 physicians and providers across the across the region. So we span all the way from, from the tip of Long Island and Montauk uh, straight through Nassau, Suffolk County on Long Island, through the boroughs of the city of New York. We don't have uh, too much activity and assets and, and services in the Bronx. So with the exception of the Bronx, we're active in uh, the other four boroughs in a, in a very big way. And then all the way up to uh, Westchester County and relationships throughout the, throughout the tri-state area. Wow. Big organization. Yeah. That's, that's impressive. And then when we talk about population health and what your responsibility is, how many people are on your team? So uh, directly in, inside of the uh, care management organization, which is uh, monikered and, and as uh, Northwell Health Solutions, so which I had the benefit, the privilege of co-establishing back in 2013 and launching in 2014. So our care management arm has just under 400 individuals inside of that division and with a, a very diverse portfolio of programming and expertise and capabilities. And so, and it ranges from our analytics division and our claims-based analytics and, and data warehousing straight through to, to the other bookend, which is the uh, our very progressive care management and care coordination programs like our clinical call center and uh, call triage centers, transitional care management programming. Uh, we have gaps in care engines and work that's occurring on uh, the quality, providing services to achieve certain quality standards. And then we have we operate the others is like a, a health home operation for a Medicaid care coordination, house calls programs for a homebound. And, and I'm, I'm leaving many out, but it's really around having a first kind of special forces inside of our organization. It's important that it, there isn't the impression that we're giving the impression that we perform all of the all of what's necessary in order to achieve um, you know extraordinary high value outcomes. It's really around this engine plugging in and aligning throughout this large network that I just described inside of Northwell. This incredible care delivery engine that we have and our network to really help inspire confidence and capabilities to elevate our outcomes. That's kind of the way it's designed. Yeah, and, and to our listeners um, today, 
or whenever you get a chance to listen to this. To me, this is just fascinating. And we're going to tie this back to MedTech here in a little bit. But first, you have to understand population health, which admittedly, I did not understand very well until I talked to Joe a couple of weeks ago and we had our first introductory call and we started preparing for the podcast. And I have to admit that I'm sort of blown away. 400 people in this this group that is working with you. And then, but really the effect is on many, 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 I mean, employees throughout the entire organization that are helping you execute to achieve your goals in population health. I just, I just find it really fascinating. So one little thing I want to clear up with people just to make sure we have a good understanding because this is something I was confused on. What is the difference between population health and public health? So this is certainly one of, it's among the more confusing and many times you may see these used interchangeably and, and you you would receive probably many different responses to this question, but I'll give you my response to this question based on my experiences and and, uh, insights. And really I'll try to keep it simple, as simple as we can, but, but Public health is really the uh, the broadest uh, the broadest movement of healthcare outcomes, prevention, and wellness at at the macro level. You know, at the level of zooming out of full scale municipalities, full scale cities, full scale at the state level, at the federal level, identifying disease states, and then and then solutioning around how are we moving the needle on public health. Now, what I would say is population health is the more tactical element to this. This is how do we achieve improved public health? It is through the population health endeavors. So I would say that it's much more at then that next level, which is this is the ground game of improving outcomes. And and it's very tactical. It's very data oriented. And quite frankly, I just had this discussion with with an intern and a student that was rotating through our division. Our approach to this is it's, it's whereas public health tends to be more, you know, an overall sweeping kind of indicator or index at the population health level to achieve these kind of, you know, to achieve results. It's at the tactical level. It's literally at the stratifying of populations with data sets and prescribing and crafting a, an approach for care coordination, for connectedness, for engagement with the respective providers, as well as the actual individuals. So it's, it's, it's pretty, it gets very tactical and, and, and it's built on a premise of the connectedness to the provider and the provider network and the patient. So a patient's relationship with their provider and their provider network and ensuring that that relationship is connected, is engaged, and is meaningful. Those three things in that recipe is what translates into, with the right programming is what translates into improved outcomes. And, and effectively, those improved outcomes, the evidence is clear, lower the total cost of care, therefore a driving a higher level of affordability. And when you talk about population health, you're talking about the population that Northwell is engaged with. We have about 2 million individuals that we treat or we connect with or have some type of interaction with on an annual basis. And so I'm not suggesting that we are, you know, that our work is an N of 2 million right now. But my point is certainly, yes, Ted, to your point, it's all in waves. So this first wave of this move, of these movements are those individuals and the patients of Northwell and that are, have a connectedness to our health system for and are attributed to our health system for the, the plurality is what it's called, the preponderance, the the majority of their healthcare uh, services and and needs. And so, and that is a very, there are very powerful data sets and information that helps to, you know, that helps to inform us to the betterment of outcomes. And so that's our, our goal is to get the services when they need it, the right services, right time, over time, which is important. Right. And go. let's go back. You just mentioned a couple of the core concepts. Would you repeat those, the core concepts of population health? Certainly. I mean, there are many execs in this space and leaders in this space. They will. There's no one single recipe. What I would say in, in our work and the way in our approach 
So first, it's really having a very strong understanding of patients and uh, your patient's baseline conditions and needs within your network. And then and then it's really followed by the evaluation of how to best engage and, and connect with those individuals. And so that engagement piece is really important. And it's not just engaging with the individual patients, it's with the providers too. Because we're we're not in the our goal is this is a service to support our providers in the delivery of the of high value care delivery and and to quite frankly, it's really to support our provider network. That's really what it is. And in that support of the provider network, it therefore obviously brings services directly to our patients. So mm-hmm. this is really around strengthening the provider-patient relationships by way of bringing connectedness services to, you know, even further reinforce, reinforce, it's a reinforcement and it's an enhancement to the, uh, to that relationship. And that's really important because the benefits over time are extraordinary with that kind of model. And so I would say that the engagement, the uh, is really important. The connectedness is important, you know, through the analytics and then it's around programming and services. And these have to be programming services that in the people want that people desire. And so at 2 a.m. when there is a condition or a situation uh, where a, a patient is anxious about some type of some type of condition or some type of event that or some some type of pain that they may be experiencing, you know, the question is always, well, should I go to the emergency room? Because it's um, I don't want to I don't want to disturb my my physician. Well, we're providing, we provide a 24 by seven nurse triage for the patients that are inside of our programming. And, and that, that is a 24 by seven RN call center that, that is receiving these calls that again, this is all highly organized and engineered. So the individuals, they know that they have this opportunity and they have this resource. And, you know, this is a a program that's fielding 50,000 calls a year on this call center. So, and, and so, they are able to clinically triage these and uh, and to make the requisite recommendations and or connections or referrals. If it indeed met the uh, criteria for uh, ER transport, we'll dispatch our Northwell EMS, CEMS because we're direct interfaced and integrated with our Northwell EMS uh, service, with our ambulance service, which is the largest private service in the state. If, if it is, requires an urgent care situation, we will provide them with the recommendations to the nearest urgent care center within our Go Health network. Uh, or if uh, they have a, a deep, 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 profound preference for, for alternate locations, we will work with that. If it's around getting them connected for appointments, scheduling or for uh, for the following to contact them about appointment scheduling, we'll make those connections. So it's things like that, I think, that are really important. So we've talked about having the data and the data... The ability to to bring in data that gives you information on the baseline of your population and then the engagement and connectivity with that population across an entire spectrum of services and providers. And And then you also had talked about a shift from reactivity to anticipatory. Yes. Um, I'm glad you raised it, Ted. That is certainly this this next wave of how I'm ex- expressing how, where we need to get to as an organization and in our efforts. Uh, that we're traditionally, I think, you know, healthcare delivery. No, it's not. It's not a Northwell healthcare delivery. Is we tend to be in the in the reactive kind of space and reactive meaning. Uh, patient experiences again a condition. Chief complaint comes in with chief complaint, and obviously we're providing. We're going to provide except have the providers are going to provide exceptional service to treat that that complaint. We certainly through the through the information and through our assessments and evaluations and a lot of our tools, we're able to be much more anticipatory and predictive and proactive. And so, for a very simple example, our patients that are connected to us and that. Uh, are attributed to our provider network that have not uh, come in for their annual wellness. Very simple example for their annual wellness. Uh, the history is the prior year, we had an annual wellness lapse, a gap in care. They uh, didn't uh, come in until for 14 months instead of, you know, inside of a 12-month rolling 
rolling cycle. And so it's fairly predictive that the individuals may be delayed in, again, approaching us, reaching mm-hmm. in, out to us because of just, is it inconvenient? They, they don't, they're not sure what number to call, or they're just not able to take time. Again, that's pretty highly predictive and there are al- different algorithms that we run, but for us to conduct a, an outreach to make it convenient you know, on behalf of our practice operations. And when I say us, meaning that on, the practice is able to reach out and our call center is able to reach out and offer them an appointment for their annual wellness that meets their meets their needs in terms of timing and uh, day of the week or, or time of the month. That's, that's the type of very simple example as opposed to the, that annual wellness may occur in March and it might not have occurred until either the following March, which would have been another potentially uh, 12 months additional, or it might not occurred for several years and things like that. So, but once you start to overlay that over individuals with chronic conditions, diabetes, COPD, heart failure, and conditions like, like those, it's really important, not just about the annual wellness, but about the connectedness and that we are making it most convenient for our patients to be offering them and connecting with them for you know, for the betterment of their health. And so as opposed to treating what comes to us and relying 100% and putting the burden on our patients, what we need to do is share that responsibility in a deep and profound way and, and through the best of our ability to outreach and make it convenient for them. So I imagine you must have a dashboard that's measuring all kinds of stuff. So somewhere in all the data that you're that you're evaluating in in terms of evaluating how well Northwell is doing on a number of these different measures, you might have an annual wellness measure that says, well, we did 10 or 15% better than the prior year in terms of getting people to be at least plus or minus one month of their annual date for an exam, right? That's yes, absolutely. I mean, the, those type of that type of dashboarding at a high level is: uh, Are we moving the needle on annual wellness? Are we moving the needle on diabetics in good control? Are we moving the needle on our cancer screening rates, both colorectal, breast, cervical? Are we moving the needle on the on BMI checks? It, it's really around the providing the supports to our provider network. So that's really where we we have engineered and we have the capabilities uh, that are that are designed and, and crafted to provide the support that our provider network needs in order to bring the again the most effective, meaningful services and offerings to to our patients beyond the conventional encounter. Right, because the conventional encounter—that's a given. We know we're providing, you know, just extraordinary care based on all of the the results and feedback that we get from as an organization. Now it's really what are those intangibles that are also going to drive the outcomes over time to further enhance our performance. And what one of the examples that you used when we talked a, a while ago was like the diabetes example, starting with a baseline and going from there. Could you just walk us through the, like the population health ideal of like a diabetes patient? Yeah. I mean, I think I could try to keep it pretty simple. Uh, It it really starts with like everything else. It starts with a baseline. And so first having an understanding of the, so if it's Dr. Newell, as you have a panel of, of, of patients attributed to you, and, meaning, and again, on behalf of the provider, we then in our information, in the information systems, we know what is the N of cases of patients attributed that are active diabetics. So we have our active diabetics, and let's just say the baseline is is 50 on the panel. And so the, the important element is first, well, what are our standards and the care standards in terms of the A1C checks? And so what we're doing is we are not value on the schedule in terms of who's current, which patients have are current on their A1C checks, which is the level again, to check the level on the blood sugar side and get an, an, an understanding of whether uh, you know their, their diabetes is first of all whether they're monitoring whether the checks are getting done regularly and whether they're compliant with their medications that's really the those are the key things so first the data provides you with insights and and you're merging together a number of different data sets to help provide you with with insight on that and then it's around engagement so now you have patients from going from 50 and now your rate let's just say of that kind of compliance to your standard is 50% so now we have 25 patients 
that we need to re-engage. And so then there is, uh, that's where, you know, there is a, the efforts around providing again, the, the mechanisms and the services on behalf of the uh, practices to engage these individuals. And again, it goes to our call center, our patient access center, conducting outreach for inviting for the patients to be scheduled to be to come in and to to be seen by the providers in order to ensure that they remain compliant um, and in good health. And so, and that takes vigilance. It takes a lot of a lot of doing. So then, by doing that, so let's just say then your your engagement rate and you achieve a certain rate of those you've engaged, you've scheduled, and that have come in, and then we're conducting that and we're always performing those analytics and that calculation. So of the 25 remaining, we got, there were 13, so more than half. So now we have still, we still have 12 individuals that we have to continue to to engage Mm -hmm. and work with the provider a little bit more deeply to get them and understand what's going on there. So that's, that's hopefully uh, some insight into the way it kind of breaks down. Now, how long have you been in this role? I've been in this space, and I'll explain since directly since twenty the end of twenty thirteen. So I've been in for about eight years in this space, and in between that time period, between the late twenty thirteen and the current into mid twenty twenty one, I did spend had a, a almost a two year stint in serving as our uh, senior vice president, regional executive for a western sector of our health system, which uh, were all of our hospitals in Westchester County, Manhattan, and Staten Island. And so stayed connected in the space, but I had that chunk of time also to be spending on, you know, on the, the strategy and leading the endeavors for, for our, our region in general. So, but this is space I've been spending a good amount of time. I've spent a good amount of time in. And uh, but, it really is a... In the current role, how many years as senior? Oh, VP? I've been in this exact uh, in this exact title now. It's two years. So I did uh, the. This is two years in uh, in this, the business transformation role in this space. I spent two years in my regional uh, capacity space, and and then I spent about uh, three years, right? Three years in the uh, three to four, almost uh, three to four years when I stood up the care management organization. So that just gives you that's that's only a right. chunk. Right. So the reason I'm asking is if we look at the time you've spent and, you know, where you've had your eyes on the population health situation for Northwell, can you give an example of where the population health initiatives and activities of this huge team that that you've got that you've seen some improvement in, in, in population health or in care? Can you give an example? Sure. I mean, I think there's there's two tremendous examples uh, where we we've evidenced. I mean, outcomes. I mean, one is um, on, on the national level in terms of performance. We our house calls program is a CMMI independence at home demonstration site. What that is is a uh, highly a highly specialized CMMI program that is that is geared and focused on frail elderly homebound seniors that don't have the ability to ambulate predominantly or otherwise if we weren't bringing care into the home they otherwise wouldn't be able to uh, to seek care in a traditional kind of location and so we're one of among the few dozen and maybe it's just a little under that selected sites for that demonstration over we've been in uh, that program since i believe 2012 uh, in that 2012 time period even before and that was the beginning stages before we launched and this, the program is designed to improve outcomes, improve the, improve the quality scoring and the quality for for these individuals, for these Medicare beneficiaries, and which translates clearly into a lower total cost of care uh, for Medicare. And by bringing all the services basically into the home for these individuals, the key KPI on that program is obviously avoidable hospitalizations to, from the baseline and ER presentations. These are individuals who are coming in who are constantly in in and out of the hospitals with ER presentations and admissions on a daily and weekly basis. And so our program was was able and has demonstrated the highest performance in this in the demonstration nationally. We've we've achieved the the last settlement we had meaning reconciliation of the program on service this had in the demonstration over 350 Medicare beneficiaries specifically were studied in this program among our house calls program, which has, which serves 18 on an annual basis. 
And we achieved the extraordinary results over almost a 30% uh, reduction in total cost of care. And on a per beneficiary level, I believe the uh, latest settlement reconciliation was almost $15,000 per per beneficiary per year. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. Wow. Yeah. And so... It's it's just remarkable performance, and and it's just to demonstrate, and that is through again very tailored, very meaningful, and compassionate services being brought with a lot of time and attention. And quite frankly, these are costly programs. However, and that's where there's unfortunately there's a there uh, tends to be a slower adoption rate of programs like this because of the upfront costs to stand up the programs and the heavy. Uh, cost of programming like this. However, on the value chain, the results are just extraordinary. And uh, and so exponentially, the returns are exponential relative to the costs that you're... Uh, so that's one that uh, comes to mind. And our readmission reduction work uh, across our health system really being very intentional around recognizing the improvements that we uh, what we were desiring and want and uh, seeking for thirty day readmission rates with our for our Medicare beneficiaries for our health system, and and we have we have dropped that rate with uh, with programming transitional care management programming and navigation and technologies inside of our division. But it's not solely that. It is the connection to our uh, partners in our hospitals and in our uh, care, our, our case management divisions throughout our network. And we've been, uh, we've had just tremendous success in uh, reducing our 30-day readmission rates over the last several years. And we're very proud of that to improve our star ratings with CMS. And I will note that you know that that effort just to punctuate how important it was to Northwell Health and recognizing the value chain on the 30-day readmission rates. Because what's nice is that 30-day readmissions is not just a hospital. It might be monikered as a hospital measure, but it is right. a measure of your transitions of care, your care coordination, your network of care. And so that hospitalization is just a, a a one piece of the of that episode. The episode, if you're measuring it on a 30-day readmission rate, it's how are you doing on a 30-day basis in staying connected to your uh, to your patients. And so we're pretty happy about that. So that's terrific. So one per, somebody might listen to this and say, because it sort of goes back to that comment you and I talked about that Mark Dixon had hit me with, you know, heads in beds versus keeping heads out of beds. And somebody might say, well, this sounds a little you know, strange because you're almost putting yourself out of business by providing better population health, quality control, and so on and so forth. You are reducing the amount of patient management that you might get involved in and therefore generally profits or something in the future. But on the opposite side of that, which you were explaining to me the other day is that by demonstrating your capability to be really a value-based organization and to be able to manage population health actively with integrity, with compassion, and to get these kinds of results, you actually become more attractive to to the insurance companies. That's precisely it, Ted. I yeah. think that that is the journey. The journey is evidencing that we and that we for evidencing why we are the most and should be the most attractive, and then, and you have to demonstrate that, and that's where I agree. I, that I still agree with what what we spoke about a few weeks ago, no question, yeah. and I believe it more every day. That and that's our charge is um, serving as the stewards to evidence and to continue to move our organization and inspire our organization and move our organization forward, and the results are. Um, having Northwell in our network being just, you know, being overwhelmingly attractive for any type of offerings, whether they be narrowed network offerings, whether they be direct to employer offerings, whether they be governmental, a certain governmental programming, you know, this is, it's key for, for us. And, and certainly so the, that, that discussion about heads and beds and so forth, I can assure you that there's no benefiting from on any level. For, for anyone where we could have avoided someone having to be hospitalized, right? I mean, there's always alignment on that around alleviating suffering and, and, and avoiding someone having to go through the trauma of an emergency room presentation or, a, or an admission. And so, I, as I may have mentioned to you, our goal is during the toughest times, we, we, we want to make it clear and evidence why you would choose Northwell. 
right. over any other organization, flat out. And so, and that's where all votes rise. And so, we want to evidence it to our communities. We want to evidence it to to the uh, providers that are choosing to stay connected to North, you know, and that are either join Northwell directly or connected to us on a voluntary basis. And obviously we want to also demonstrate that to uh, health plans and government. And so that's kind of, uh, that's the journey. And it, it, this takes time. I mean, this is not, this is something that you just continue to calibrate and uh, refine and, um, and um, move, move the ball downfield on and in the right direction. But, and, and we're sort of starting to shift here to the whole uh, subject also of how does this affect med tech? Because what I see is if there's more organizations like yours that are making a substantial effort in this particular area, then there's other organizations that are not as disciplined that are, it's like anything, competition, they're going to get weeded out. And so people really need to pay attention to value-based organizations because cost of care is unsustainable as it is right now. And, and you're trying to bridge that gap to sustainability. Am I correct? That's precisely it, Ted. And yeah. I think, and and there's a and you know, for med for med tech and so forth. I mean, there is this is a sustainability sustainability proposition. Granted, and 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 I qualified it earlier. I mean, it, it is certainly it's, this is a going to take a protracted period of time. Some parts of the country are much more progressive than some parts of the country. Our our region and part of the country is uh, certainly in the early, still in the earlier innings. We would describe it. There are other parts of the what you see in the West Coast or in even in the Midwest down south that are in the seventh eighth inning in some cases and so by the way this this uh, this game doesn't have you know th- there are no nine inning games though this yeah. goes on forever <laughs> but um, no but I'd say that they're in the late inning so it but yeah for med tech I think it's how do you demonstrate that your your products and services are and how do they contribute in connecting the dots to the value chain is really really important because I think it's a given that the technology is going to progress that it's going to get more advanced and that it's going to get and that it's it's an important attractor as well for those providers and organizations that are certainly leading edge and that are desiring to be leading edge. And then inside of that, though, it really does need to bring to life around how does it impact and, and what role does it play in the value chain as well? And I think that's that's kind of critical and it's going to be more and more pronounced over time. And it is very highly pronounced as much of probably MedTech is seeing in other parts of the country. And so I'm sure. And so I think as you know, there you know certain as MedTech is interfacing with Kaiser, is interfacing with Intermountain, is interfacing with uh, the Presbyterian out in New Mexico, and these these very advanced kind of risk-bearing entity models that they have, or narrowed network models, or capitated, you know, and very large, prolific, what I would say is matured kind of uh, insurance products uh, that are uh, health system issued, and I think you know they probably should take some. Use that, that what's going to be more broadly coming across the uh, the country. I got to believe there's a number of technologies that are going to be oriented to this in, in terms of like remote patient monitoring. You, you use the example of this program that Northwell was very successful at, which was the the outreach going into people that were, I guess you could say, not really very ambulatory. I would imagine the people that were going out there making those calls, they needed e- equipment that was somewhat portable, connected by Bluetooth to their computers or whatever it might be. So there could be a whole cadre of instrumentation, diagnostics, and so on and so forth that sort of suits some aspects of population health improvement. Certainly. I think that the key thing and most challenging is keeping it simple. That's really important. And keeping the requirements for the, that to operate the technology need to be simple and need to be readily available. Uh, they need to be highly reliable. And so the more variables that get introduced, if they're requiring uh, a heavy load on the wireless connectivity, if they're not capable of, of toggling between 4G, 5G, Wi-Fi, obviously, which being probably in first position. So it could be a, it's a Wi-Fi, 5G, and then in the backup, having an, an analog type. There has to be a recognition that if we're going to be bringing services into the, into the home and into different settings and remote monitoring, it needs to be fit for the, you know, the, the 
many different type of household environments and situations. And those that are struggling disproportionately also have tend to have, because of socioeconomics and their medical condition tend to have um, more variables associated with this kind of, and, and, you know, the more barriers. And so I would say that, that on the med tech side, it's not what will work in your home directly, perhaps. And just to think about, well, I'm sitting in my room here and I, I have a Eero mesh Wi-Fi system that is amplifying my Wi-Fi signal. And I have my phone that can go from my Wi-Fi extender to my 5G when, if necessary. It's more about recognizing and understanding if we're looking to move the needle on outcomes in vulnerable populations and med tech needs to craft and design technologies, hardware, software that is highly reliable in, in a variety of environments. And so that, and, and in real world environments. And so I think that's an important thing that we've observed. And then on the, when it comes to being inside the facilities, whether it's a hospital facility or an ambulatory surgical care, urgent care, whatever it means, for products that are going into those types of facilities, it goes back to having a good clinical outcome, but also being economically feasible and supported by a lot of evidence. And the other day you were talking about, like there's evidence on several levels, you know, it's not just the clinical outcomes, but there's also the evidence of, for example, how easy is it for the the technicians to, to use or the nurses to use and so on. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's all of those things. I mean, it's it's certainly. I mean, where you're entering into kind of an institutional, meaning hospital uh, or any type of hardened environment like AM search centers or whatnot, they're going to have capabilities. You know, in terms of infrastructure, that's obviously stronger than uh, any residence or any uh, any place in the community. But that being said, it also has the other variables where you have, you know, it has to be durable. It has to it has to be intuitive and it can't waste time. So it, it, it's not about waiting three, five minutes for something to boot up and all different things. There are so many different elements associated with the technologies. And, and the most important thing is definitely, I mean, they have to have the value proposition too. I mean, the capital constraints will continue for, uh, for the entire industry. And instead in the med tech side, it's, well, what has, leads you know, provider network or health system or client A to choose our product, that's kind of a little bit on, it's certainly capital heavy and or can start to get a little capital heavy. And well, it's okay. It's an emerging new technology is what is, is that emerging new technology either going to generate for us through the value chain, accretive margin. Our goal is obviously it's improved outcomes, improved connectivity, improved engagement with our providers, which, you know, again, all those things leading to improved performance, or is it simply a replacement of what we had and with a capital outlay? I mean, and just to be able to, to, to think that, you know, it becomes an arms race, right? And we don't, we're not looking for an arms race on this stuff. We're looking for, you know, we have to, certainly we have to keep up. We're going to, we want to be progressive, but we also have to be really smart about what work because some of these technologies are becoming more and more ubiquitous. Right. I'm going to be interviewing a CEO of an artificial intelligence company here in a few weeks where they use artificial intelligence to help radiologists decipher x-rays and CT scans and MRIs and so on so that they don't miss anything. And apparently the, the, the impact is significant. It's pretty amazing what AI can do in that particular, but I can see it, you know, AI is, probably permeating everything in the hospital system and in, in like the analytics that you're doing and, and for instrumentation to be able to be attached to it. Yes. I mean, we have AI enabled technologies that we use with regards to more about machine learning and predictive modeling around the predicting patients at highest risk for a future ER presentation or a future admission. So again, it's really, it's getting, like I had mentioned earlier, getting out there way out ahead of being able to be more anticipatory and more proactive. So the AI technologies enable some of that. And we're testing some. Some have, uh, some of the technologies have proven interesting and have intrigued us, I think, in the earlier stage and some I'm not as impressed with. Certainly these to get more and more refined and, and more, uh, more impressive over time. Right. Absolutely. There's a, there's a role for it. It's a, to the, the, the tools in the toolbox, the toolbox, there's just so uh, large a toolbox you can have, you can carry around. And so I would say, 
you know, for med tech and so forth, you want to be in that toolbox, you know, in that, that quiver with all the arrows that we're going to need here. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you think the healthcare ecosystem is going to look like in five to 10 years? I was going to say five years, but as slow as we move in the United States, <laughs> right. maybe we should extend it a little bit, but where do you think it's going? You've been in this a long time. Yeah, I think, I think it is going along the lines of what we've been discussing for almost the last hour or so. We will see a much higher connectivity model. I really believe that. I think you're going to see also patients. I'm glad we really didn't devote a disproportionate amount of time on you know the pandemic at this point because it's so well documented the profound um, and significant impact that it's had on our industry and the tragedies that have been experienced and so forth. I, I know we haven't spoken about COVID, but I do want to tie it back, which is that you know we've obviously learned a lot about ourselves and we've learned a lot about our industry and and certainly and what's most what really is most rewarding is uh, that the public has a deep and profound renewed appreciation for healthcare delivery and for responders and so forth. And that's such a that was such a big lift for the industry and that's been just really grinding for so long to, you know, for our communities. And so we're, you know, for that, we're eternally grateful and, and everybody's been through a lot. Uh, but do, do you say, think the system can recover? I mean, in terms of the burnout of the employees, do you think the, the hospital system can recover? It's tough. It's going to take time. I mean, these treatment teams were uh, nonstop and the, and, and it's not only the hours that were devoted and the days and the weeks and the months and the year that years, you know, we'll, we'll be into pretty soon that have gone by. It's more of, it's more of the also the, the the mental toll it takes, the tragedy that's been witnessed, the frustration that has been experienced. It's just it's been taxing on you know for them personally. So now they have they've been impacted personally and then professionally, you know, and and so it's going to take time. And I think all organizations, including our own, are. are paying um, particular attention to this matter and will not give up on, on providing all services and supports that are necessary over as long as it takes to have our workforce. And we're going to, this is something that's going to carry forward in perpetuity to, for our workforce to, you know, to get the balance and to really get back to their best self. And it's hard. I mean, it's really tough, but we've learned a lot of lessons uh, from that. And, um, and getting back to it, I mean, I think that, you know, COVID, the COVID experiences and the capabilities and the acceleration is something to, that you mentioned. I mean, yes, it's going to take time, but what COVID did if was a forcing function for us was we had to accelerate efforts in certain ways, whether it was remote monitoring, whether it was certain programming and rapid transition programming, capacity management, all these different elements, telemedicine, obviously, telehealth being among the, probably the, among the most profound, how are we staying connected? So, I think it's going to be a much higher connected model. I think it's going to be a lot more convenient for patients to access care. So I do think access is going to improve in certain ways. I know it's kind of counterintuitive. It's like, well, the demand may be overwhelming, but I just think it's going to get a lot even smarter over time. And and I, I think it's also going to, I do think the telemedicine and the telehealth element is uh, definitely here to stay. And I think it might go through kind of this lull for like, you know, coming off of COVID, but right. I think what's going to occur because there's this pent up demand is I need to, you know, I certainly want to present in person. And also we need our providers for examination and so forth with their patients, making sure they have in-person encounters. That being said, I think once that kind of pent up demand kind of flushes through a bit, what you're going to begin to see is more and the, the telemedicine pick back up, I think in a pretty big way. So I think kind okay. of uh, like that. Okay. But, you know, we're very, uh, we're excited for the future. We're very hopeful for the future and uh, we see just tremendous opportunity and as an organization and then as an industry, we uh, can never be satisfied. We have to set, you know, continue as our leader would say, set the bar, continue to set the bar higher and uh, raise the bar on what we're, what we're able to achieve because that's how you test yourself and you push yourself in order to deliver, you know, an extraordinary thing. So that's kind of the way we're wired. Sure, sure. 
We've covered most everything. I was just going to, one other thing I was going to ask you, I didn't know if you had any books or newsletters or websites that you recommend to people to, whether it's to improve themselves and or to keep up with uh, this particular subject area. I always plug a, a decorated a decorated member of the United States military because he was very gracious to us organizationally and how he served this country. And uh, Stanley, Stanley McChrystal has the, the book and the team of teams and We've, I, I couldn't recommend it more. We've used that and certainly in the past and, and we've subscribed to, uh, to General McChrystal's kind of that, that view and how it, it has so much in it. It has about agile and again, rapid, you know, rapid design. You know, they were deploying a handful of mission deployments initially in the, in the theater of war and, and, you know, recognizing in this battle against Al Qaeda and uh, this battle against, against extremism. And, and so he recognized that was woefully insufficient, but yet needed to accelerate it. And so how were they engineered and designed and and ended up being able to deploy not all, not, not single digits, but dozens and dozens of deployments, whereas it would have been viewed as an almost impossibility in the past. And so he, how they designed it and this team of teams delegation and structural uh, kind of design is something that we recommend uh, highly. And he, he's, we, we were very, we were privileged to have met him as well. And he joined us at, at our organization and, and he was just, couldn't have been any more gracious and impressive. And That's great. Great, great idea. I like it. Yeah. I'll put that in the show notes. I'll put a link yeah. to his book in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. All right. Well, thank you very, very much. This has been uh, very interesting and revealing, and I'm sure we've all you know, gained a lot and a whole new appreciation for something that's driving healthcare in a very positive direction. I feel hopeful. I mean, I've always felt like our healthcare system is, is broken and I've been a little frustrated. I've had surgery myself in France, so I've personally experienced their system, spent a week in one of their hospitals. I've had a loved one be treated in Austria and oh. Germany, and I was there to see those systems. So, and you compare it to the U.S., but, you know, having talked to you now after Mark, I'm feeling very hopeful. I really love what I'm hearing. We know we have to again, raise the bar on how we're doing. And it's all the tremendous opportunities to just deliver incredible results. And so we, we recognize it and we're leaning in. I mean, there's uh, this is hard. This is hard enough. It's hard stuff. We can't look at it and be dejected. We can't be demoralized. We, we look forward as opportunity and it energizes us that we know we can what we can do great things. And that's kind of just, like I said, the way that's DNA of our organization. And uh, it was on display during COVID, no question. But that that was a window into this time, what this organization is uh, is capable of achieving. And so that's lot. great. Well, congratulations to you and everybody at Northwell. And thanks again for being on the podcast today. My pleasure. Thanks. And thanks uh, everybody for joining. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ted. And thanks, Mark Dixon. <laughs> <laughs> now I have some questions for you. When you look at your product line and its supporting marketing pieces, do they send a message that your products align with the goals of value-based healthcare? And when you look at your product pipeline, are you taking into consideration the movement to value-based healthcare? For example, are you sharing evidence that your products not only improve clinical outcomes, but also lower costs and readmission rates? When developing approaches to different health systems, are you segmenting them by those that are fee-for-value-based versus fee-for-service? The cultures of these organizations could be quite different and require different marketing and sales processes. Lots to think about. Again, thanks for sharing your day. Now go win your week.